0: Begin today the Gemara at the last line on Daf Nuzayin, with Bays. The Gemara continues here talking about how many people <coughs> were in the city of Betar that was wiped out in that time. Amar Abba Bava Yechanin, Araboyim saw forty sa'ah, so, oh, certain measurement of Kitzutsay <speaking> Tefillin. <Hebrew> Rashi says Kitzutsay <speaking> Tefillin <Hebrew> refers to the bottom of the Tefillin without the retzuos of the Tefillin. Nimsu beroshe haruge betar were found on the heads of the Yidin that were killed in the city of betash. Rabbianai berabi lama, that it was more, it was three times as much. Shalosh kupais shalar boim saw. Three uh, boxes of each 40, 40 saw of these batim of tvilim were found, which means 120 saw of tvilim. In Abraisa, we learned similar to what Rabbianai said. Are ba'im kupais that there were forty boxes shalish shalish saw, and each one was of three son of these uh, bottom of the t'filin. So now the Gemara explains, even though it seems like there's a machlokes here, the first opinion here, Rabbi Yehuda said that it was just forty saw, and Rabbi Yannay and the Brisa says that it was three times as much. It was 120 saw of these bottom of the t'filin. But v'loy there's no argument here. Ha the and ha the when it said that it was only 40 soft fill tefillin, that was the tefillin Shalyad, the tefillin that's placed on the arm. Because the tefillin Shalyad has only one bias in it, so in those times at least, it was made smaller. But the tefillin shal which has to have four batim in it, and you have to place four, four parshis in it, so therefore it was made larger, so it was three times as much of uh, the bottom of tefillin in these boxes. So Rashi says, even though you would expect that it should be four times as much, because the bias of the Shalraish has four, and not one. Nevertheless, the four bottom of the Shladosh are made smaller than that one bias of the Shalyad, so therefore it's only three times as much. Abassi, said, or some, there were forty kabin, also a certain measurement of the brains of the children that their heads were smashed on this rock here, Nimtsual Evanachas, were found by one stone there. Ula <laughs> Mar Ula said Tishrus that it was nine carbon. Amr Avkahanet Vitei Meshila Bar Modi Mai Korah, What's weird? We see a Pasik that indicates this that what will happen. Baaz Bovel Hashaduda the daughter of Bovel, which was uh, robbed from Ashrei she Shalemachav happy is the one that does this to you. Ashrei she grabbed hold of you the nipped as I layach alasolah and smashed the skulls of the of the children on this uh, rock. The pasuk says, "Bene the children of Tzion. This is an echa, How you caught it, the precious B'nai Tzion. Hamusulaim ba which are musulaim ba What does musulaim B'paz mean? My musulaim ba Paz. Ilameh da Does musulaim B'paz mean that they were covered with Paz, which is a very special, expensive, rare kind of a gold? And the Yidden were were so wealthy, and they were covered with this gold. But for Amri de Beit that can't be, because by Rapsheila they taught." Two measures of of istiri, a certain um, a kind of coin or a certain measure of pizza of this special gold came down into the world. Chod be'raymi, and one came down to to Rome. And the another measure came down to the rest of the world. So you see that this pizza, this gold, didn't even come down to the Yidin in Eretz Yisrael. It came down in other places in the world. So how could we say that Yidin were covered with this with, with, with this gold? Allah the answer is, it's a different pshadeh. That the Yidin were so beautiful that they would actually bring disgrace to this gold when you looked at the beauty of the Yidin. Because Yidin's beauty was much more even than someone that was covered with this gold. So the taich of Misulah here, according to this pshat in the Pasik, is that Misulah means that Yidin are praised by this, by, by this beauty that they had. Like Saylu Saylu, it actually brings up here another Lashan of a Pasik, it means that the of, of, of praising Yidin. So the Gemara now explained based on this. In the beginning, what happened was de the prominent Romans, have an Akiti, de gushpanki. They would have the their signet rings that had these beautiful images on it. So they would bring it with them. And they would have relations with their wives. And they would show their wives first these beautiful images in the signet rings. Because when she looks at this beautiful image, it has an impression on her regarding the child that's born. Should I have the beauty of this image? But then when they saw the Yidin and how beautiful Yidin are. so They took the little children from Yidin. And they tied them to the legs of their beds. And, with Shamshi, and then that's, they had their wives look at the images of these beautiful children, and that's when they had relations with their wives. <laughs> so the Gemara says about this, <laughs> So these children, they were tied to the beds. So one said to his friend, oh, Where do we find in the Torah that it's written such a level of punishment that we're going to suffer? So he answered and said, the Apostle says, in the end of the Teichache, it says that even those things that were not specified and are not written clearly in the Tayre will also happen to you. And it refers to such a kind of thing that he did not tie to the beds of the Romans. So Amar, his friend, that heard this Pasuk, he asked his friend, Here we're learning in Chumish, and they, they were holding somewhere in that uh, in Chumish Devarim, not far from Parshish Kisavai. So he asked him, how far are we from here learning this Pasuk that you just quoted for me? On Malay, Inged, it's not too far, we're getting close to that posik a little bit. the upalga, another page and a half, and you'll get up to that posik yourself. On so his friend said to him, If I would come to this posik that you just quoted for me, I wouldn't need you to explain to me that that's what this posik means or according to some what he's saying is that now that the pasach here says <laughs> so even if the taita doesn't even if we don't have to say that the pasuk is being specifically to this suffering because the pasuk says <laughs> so obviously it includes everything <laughs> what's the meaning of the pasuk where it says <laughs> my eyes are, are uh, suffering or, or causes the suffering for my soul we call Sidi from all the daughters of my city so what this refers to is again to the city of Beitar. arba hayu bekrach there were 400 botiknesis shoals in the city of beta And in and each one of these shoals hayu arba malamde there were 400 teachers of children and oboholagod vachot and each one of these teachers hayu had in front of him 400 children learning taita So again, that's 400 times 400 times 400, whatever the whatever it comes to. Now, <laughs> when the enemy came and attacked Eden and came into the city of Beitar. so originally the Yidden, the children were learning taita and they were very, very confident in the khus of their taita that they're going <laughs> to be able to fight them. And the, the children used their pens or maybe their sticks it's, that they used to show the place in the learning they took that and they would they would they would they would go and pierce them where they would hit them with these sticks but then eventually when the enemy was stronger and they captured the whole city which is the guy that the siege in the city and they, they capture them uh, so they, they took them and they tied them all up and they burnt them all in the fire the and... and together with their scrolls, right? Yeah. So this is the Aini, the Aini Oilanafshi. Shh. Tonarabono and there was the story with Rabbi Subany. Shaholach lekrach He went to a big city in Rome. So they told him there. Yash There's a child there that's in prison which beautiful eyes and very good looking, and he has beautiful, the hairs, his payas are beautifully curled. So Rabbi Yishua Hananya went there and stood at the door, the entrance of the prison, and Omar, he said to Pasik, "Me nosan l'meshisei Yaakov, who gave Yaakov over to these robbers? And he Yisrael and he Yidin to the Boizizim, the ones that are plundering. On oh no, I say, Tinniks of this child in prison heard what he said, the Pasik, and he answered him, V'omar, haloy, Hashem, that's the Abish terzu, Chotonaleh, that we sent to him. V'loyavo bedracha, because we didn't want Abish's ways. Haloych, we didn't want to go in his ways. V'loy shoma beterasa, we didn't listen to his Taita. Omar, Rabbi Shuobachanan, you said, Muftachani boy, I am assured with this child, Shamayra, Haira, B'Yisrael, that one day is going to come and teach Taita for you. And then he took a shvua in, in the in the service of the Beis HaMikdash. It's a term of a shvueh. That I will not move from here. Until I'm going to redeem him for any money that they say I have to pay for redeeming him. So Amru they said, He didn't move from there. And he redeemed him and he paid a lot of money for this. And here, Taisis brings this up earlier in the Masechta. Or Taisis over here as well, it talks about this before we had a whole discussion about when you're allowed to redeem someone from captivity and you shouldn't pay an, an, a, 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 cra- a, a crazy amount of money in order that they shouldn't do this again and so on. But over here, because it was Sakonis Nafashis, so he was allowed to redeem him. Not many days passed and he came to actually teach Taita Feid. who was this child? This is Rabbi Shmol bin Elisha. He was Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha that taught Yidin Teireh, and he was a Kayan, As we'll see here as in continuation of the Gemara. Omerav Yud, Amarav. Again, uh, Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha, could be. Omerav Yud, Amarav. Maiseb, Ebnoi, Bebitosh, Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha. Now, there was a story with the son and the daughter of Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha. They were also captured, but by, but by two different masters. Now, Luyamim came one day. These two masters were in the same place. One master says, I have a slave that there's no one as beautiful as him in the entire world. And the other master says, I have a maidservant. And that there's no one as beautiful as her. So, so these two masters said to each other, Let's marry the slave and the maidservant to each other. And then they'll have beautiful children and we'll divide the children amongst ourselves so what did they do they didn't know that he's a brother and sister they brought them into the same room and these two that came into the same room they didn't even look at each other They didn't recognize each other it was dark one sat in one corner and the maid servant she sat in the other corner Zaim and one of them said, and they were told that they had that they were getting married to each other. So Za'im, one of them said, Ani Kayyim and Kainim Gidail, I'm a Kayim, the son of Rabishmal ben Alisha Kain Kaim Gadl. Essa Shifchab, I'll marry a maidservant. And the other one said, Ani Kahenes, Bas Gainim Gidailim. I'm a Kahenis, the son of Kainim Gidailim. And Nasil I can get married to a slave. Uba Lailah. And the whole night they were crying about their predicament. Then Kim as soon as the break of dawn and it was light in the room, he ze. They recognized one another, the and they fell on each other's, uh, on each other the and they they cried very, very bitterly, until the neshama flew out of their body. It's on them that Kirmiya laments and says, Al ani on these I cry, ani ani My my eyes uh, come down water tears. There was a story with a woman. Her name was Sofnas Bas Why did she have such a name? She was so beautiful, everyone looks at her beauty. And Bas what does this mean? She was the daughter of the Kohen Gadol that serves inside in the Kodesh Hakadosh and the so there was a guy that captured her, and he violated her the entire night. Then the following day, he dressed her with seven, seven garments. He took her out to the marketplace to sell her. Comes a person which was very despicable, and he says to the one that's selling her, I want you to show me your beauty. So she, she's wearing all these garments, why you to remove it and show me your beauty." So you said to him, you empty person, if you want to take her, take her as she is. There's no no one that's beautiful as her in the entire world. But this buyer says, nevertheless, he took off six of the garments that she was wearing, and the Shvi, the seventh garment, he saw that he's gonna take it off. So the seventh garment, Karasa, she tore it off And she rolled in the dust. Because mm-hmm. she wanted to uh, not show her beauty, so she, so she rolled herself in dust. And then Amrullafano, she says today, the master of the universe. Even if on us you don't have any mercy, with Al-Qadushah, Shimcha, Gibber on your mighty name, why don't you have Rahmanis? Because when Yidin are being disgraced this way, it's a disgrace with abish's holy name. and it's on this that Yermiya is lamenting and says, Ami, the daughter of my nation, Chigri Sak, is wearing sack cloth, Vespalshibaof and is rolling in dust. Aval yachad this is a mourning of every individual, Mispot Hamrurim, eulogizing very bitterly. Kipisam because suddenly the Shaydi, the robbers came upon us. So the Gnord when it says, Aleinu, Who's Aleinu on us? It doesn't say, upon you, upon Yidin. Ela, Aleinu the Ebeshter includes himself, together with Yidin, and says, upon us, which means, alive When the Rabbis come and do all these suffering for Yidin, this is a suffering for the Yidin and for the Ebeshter himself. Kaviyocha. What's the meaning of the What's the meaning of the and they oppressed a man and his and his home, and his wife, and a man and his inheritance. So here at this passage, the Gemara is going to say, say that we see the behavior of Yidden in that times and why it happened that the Beis was destroyed. Because it was a story with a person, of he was a servant by his master, and he, his eyes, he saw the wife of his master and he decided that he wants to marry her. We're not talking here about a teacher that taught him Teireh, but we're talking about his master that taught him a trade. He taught him, uh, he was a smith. So what did he do? One time, His master was looking to borrow money from someone. So he tells his master, You can later, you can send your wife to me. And I'll give her the money. I'll lend her the money. So this person, the master, He sent his wife to his servant. He kept her by him for three days. So now the the master sees his wife is not coming back. So he came. He came to his his, his student and asked him, What's going on? Where's my wife? So the student lied and said, Uh, Again, this is first the master speaking. He asks his student, My wife that I sent to you. What happened to her? Where is she? So the student answers, I sent her off immediately. I gave her the money and sent her off. However, I heard that to all the youngsters that violated her on the way. And she sinned with them. So the master says to the student, what should I do now? Now my wife went and, and did such such kind of things. So I don't want to live with her anymore. So what should I do? So the student says, if you listen to my advice, divorce her. The Master says, but the payment of the Ksubeh is a very large sum, I can't afford it. So the student here says, I'll lend you the money, and with ten lakhs Subasa you can give it the Ksubeh. The Master got up, and he divorced her. So now the student went and fulfilled his wish, and he married her. Now the time for this Master came to pay his loan for the ksuba that he had to pay for his wife. And he didn't have money to pay. So the master tells now to this student of his, that was a student that now married his ex-wife, he tells him, Come and you'll work for me with the, for, for your loan. So you'll, you'll work for me instead of paying the loan. And they, this new husband and wife here, were sitting and eating and drinking. And the master, and he was standing there serving them and giving them to drink. And there were tears that were coming out of his eyes, falling into the, the, the cups of uh, the drink that he was serving them. And look what happened over here with his wife and this uh, student of his that stole his wife from him. It's not what happened at that time. The the decree that the Bissamigda should be destroyed was sealed and others say that it's even before this whole story happened over here that uh, he came and was serving them but it was the very fact that there are two wicks that are in one candle in one in one vessel with one candle that itself was the issue so Rashi says this is a marshal for an Asher Sish the very fact that he was had a relation with this person's wife even before when he sent the wife to him that itself was the reason why the, the, the Gzardim was sealed for the Eden Okay, this is the conclusion of the whole sugya, describing the incidents and the, all the stories and the events that happened by the churban. Now we go back to the halacha. this all began with the sekrikin, which the sekrikin were these guys in the times of the churban that would threaten to kill Yidden and uh, they would confiscate properties in order to the Yidin's life should be saved. They would take these properties away from Yidden. So, what did it say in the Mishnah? La min ha if a person first buys the property from the sekrikin, and then he goes and he buys the property from the original Yiddish owner. Mm. So the the Mishnah said that the sale is null and void, because the Yid could say, when I sold it to you, I didn't really mean to sell it to you, it's because I was afraid of the sekrikin," Or even uh, the Rashi says, he says to this Yid, I wanted you to buy it from the sekrikin, so it'll be easier for me to deal with you, to get it back from you. So therefore, there's no sale at all. Omarav, um, son this Rav, said, "Loishanu." that's only said, Elod um, kni. If the Yid that sold it after the Sakrikin sold it, that's only if the Yid says verbally, Here, go and make a Chazakah and acquire this property. So he gave them a verbal agreement. So that verbal agreement is meaningless. Abu this owner, the Yid, went out of his way more and he wrote a whole document that he's giving it to him, that he's selling it to him, then Kona. Then the Yid can't say that I only gave my agreement because I was afraid of the Sekrikin. Why did you go out of your way and write a star? If you're writing a star, so that's an indication that you agreed to the sale. says, Even if you are writing a Shtar, it's still not a Raya that you mean to sell it to him. Because it still could be that you did it because you're afraid of the Sekrikin. If you write a star and you specify in the star clearly that if this star will be confiscated from you by any of the loans that I owe someone and the balchoy will come and take it away from you, I take responsibility to reimburse you for that. So you're not stop writing a star, but you're writing a proper star with all the details. Then I see that he's serious about the sale. And the Shmuel, we learned from the Brisa, like Shmuel said. Rabshim ibn Allah says, and this is a similar halacha to the halacha of the sekrikim, which we also learned in the Mishnah. Lakach Maneisha, of a person buys a property and he first buys it from the wife. Now, this is a property that was designated for the wife to collect for her ksubah. So he first pays the wife for this. And then, only afterwards he goes to the husband, which is the real owner now, for this property and he pays him. So, mekhoi In such a case, the sale is, is good. Because when he bought it from the wife, it's before he bought it from the husband. So she can't say that I only was ready to sell it because I see that my husband wants to sell it. She doesn't see anything. The husband didn't even decide to sell it yet. And she already agreed. But if the man went first to buy it in ish, to buy it first from the husband, and then, and then he goes to the wife to buy the property, then, then the sale is bottled because the wife could say, I only agreed because I saw my husband wants to sell. I didn't want to do anything against what he wants unless when she sells the property to this person she doesn't only write a shtar but she writes like Shmuel says she writes a star with a that she's taking responsibility even if it gets confiscated from any of loans of the loans that she has so we clearly see like Shmuel so the Gemara says shall we say that this braiser refutes what Rav said that even if it was just a shtar that was written that's enough that the sale should be in effect so the Gemara says no Rav will answer you my Nami, shtar, when the Brai here uses the expression of achrayis, it doesn't mean, like Shmuel said, achrayis, if the property will be confiscated. Achrayis means a shtar. When you have a document and someone wants to come and take away this property from you, so you have a document to prove that you bought it. So that's sort of writing every shtar gives a certain achrayis that now you can prove that it belongs to you. So that's all the Brai meant. But not, like Shmuel said, an additional achrayis if uh, it was confiscated through a loan we learned regarding the Sekrikin. Sekrikin, the property was bought from the Sekrikin, and b'ailim, And this property was eaten in front of the original owner, the Yiddish owner of this property for three years. Okay, so to understand what the Gemara is saying, there's two details that we have to understand. First of all, this Gemara is talking about the Takana that the Mishnah says afterwards regarding Sekrikin. What was the Takana Chazal made in the Mishnah Ahreinah, the Mishnah said? If you remember, the Mishnah said that Chachamim later came and made the following Takana, that if you buy a property from a Sekrikin, that the sale will be in effect, but you're just going to have to go and pay the original owner a quarter of the price of that property that you did not pay the Sekrikin. Because the Sekrikin sell the property for a little bit of a cheaper price. Because they confiscated it didn't pay for it at all. So they give it to you for a cheaper price. So that difference, you have to go and pay the original owner. And if you pay that difference to the original owner, you can keep the property. So over here, this person bought the property from a Sekrikin. And he, sit, he sits in the property and he's there for three years. Now what's the significance of three years? The halacha in the Gemara of Basra is three years... Is a chazake that now you don't have to bring any document to prove your ownership until three years. The original owner that comes and says, You didn't buy this property from me, you can have to produce a document to show that you did buy it. But after three years, he doesn't, he can't have any ties to you. Where's your star? You could say, I lost the star, and you were quiet for three years. and And if I claim that I bought it from you, I don't have to bring any additional proof. So after three years, and then this buyer from the Sekrikin went and sold it yet to another Jew. So, because there was a chazaka here of three years, so the original owner can have no tainess on the second buyer, and he, can, he can't come and say, my quarter, that I was supposed to be paid, that was never paid. Nobody ever, that chalik that I was supposed to get, I never got, he can't have such a taina. So the Gemara explains what this braisa means to say. Hey, domi, what are we talking about over here? If the, the, the tain over here is the person is saying, the buyer is saying, I bought this from you, meaning I did exactly what Chazal said, that I have to pay you that difference, that quarter. I did, I paid you that quarter. So then why is it saying here in the braisa that only the second buyer you can't, can't have any tainus to? Even the first buyer as well, once he has a chazaka, of three years, he doesn't have to bring any proof at all that he bought it from the original owner and that he paid him, because after three years, you don't have to prove anything. So why is it saying the price only the second buyer doesn't have to prove this? If the buyer that's sitting now on the property is not claiming and saying that I bought it from you and I paid you what you deserve that quarter. So then I full of nami like. So even after three years, even the second buyer should not be allowed to sit in the field over here. The whole Allah of a is, if you have a taina, if you're actually saying that you paid for it and I bought it, stop to sit in a property as a squatter for three years and then afterwards to say, it's mine. And you ask you, why is it yours? Because it's mine. I didn't buy it for you, but I'm here for three years. There's no such a thing. If, you, if he has no taina, so then there's no chazake here at all. So what are we talking about? Ramadav Sheysheh, answers, Lo'olam, the lo'i katanli. Really, the second buyer has no taina. He's not claiming at all that the original yid, the owner, got paid what he deserves. He doesn't know. He's the second buyer. He has no idea what the person that sold it to him did. Did he pay him? Did he not pay him? But in such a case, here, Bezlem will get involved, and this is a concept of ta'aninon, that when you have an inheritor that inherits a property, and someone comes to argue that this doesn't belong to you, so Bezlem will come and argue for him, in his place, or also for a buyer. Bezlem will come and argue in his, in his place. And over here as well, Bezlem will argue and claim for this second buyer that mistameh, The first buyer gave the original Yiddish owner his quarter that he deserves. And it actually explains that even if there's an argument about whether Besant gets involved in such a way, it's not a usual thing, it's time for Besant to get involved. But even if you're going to say that Besant does not get involved to, to help him and tine for him, but over here in such a case, we know that definitely the first buyer went and paid that quarter to the original Yiddish owner. Because otherwise he knows that he's not going to be able to keep this property. So it's, there's a stump. We could assume that he definitely did pay. And therefore, Besdom will tie this tiner for the second buyer, even without him tining so. so why is it more than he saved himself? Why does he want to say the income? Sec- the second buyer doesn't know. He, the reason why he's not tining is because it, doesn't know. He doesn't know what the first uh, buyer, which sold him the property, did. So he can't tine himself a tiner his body. But the Besdom will tiner this for him, assuming that this is what happened. But now, but the first person himself, the person that bought it directly from the Sekriken, and he paid the Yiddish owner his quarter that he deserves, he in if he's going to tiny this clearly so then he can keep the property. But if the case over here is that he himself is saying, I don't have, he's not arguing that he paid that, then we're not going to tiny that for him because he himself has to tiny it for himself. He knows what happened. We can't rely on Beslan tying for him. So, therefore, the Braisa said only the second buyer could keep it after the Chazaka of three years because Bezdin, without his Taina, Bezdin will Taina for him. If you have a guy that confiscated a property from a Yid, but not like this case of the Sekrikin, again, the Sekrikin here were people that were wild and dangerous and they would threaten to kill Yid and they came and confiscated properties. But over here, we're talking about a guy that's confiscating a property <coughs> from a Yid because the Yid owed him money. And he didn't, want to, he didn't have money to pay, so the guy is confiscating the property. Or, umachmas anpiras. Ampurus is when a guy comes and takes a property, just steals it from you. So it's not because of a loan, but even this anpiras is still not like a sekrikin. Sakrikin were the people, that umamish were dangerous and they were going to kill you. But anpiras is a stamak a guy that comes and steals it from you. Ein boy, mishum sakrikin the halacha that the Mishnah said regarding Sakrikin does not apply over here. Now what is the halacha that the Gemara is referring to over here of Sakrikin that does not apply over here? So Rashi explains mm-hmm. that by Sakrikin, the Mishnah said that, that after 12 months that the property was there in the hands of this Sikrikin and the Yid that uh, the property was confiscated from, does not show up, does not say anything. So then we say that because the yid is afraid of this Sakrikin, the fact that he just left it in the hands of the sakrikin is because he's afraid of him. He's afraid that he's going to kill him. So therefore, the yid gave up on it. And now, any other yid can go and buy it from this Sakrikin, And he just has to give a quarter to the original owner, but he can buy it and keep it. And the reason you can buy it from the Sakrikin and keep it is because we assume that because of the danger, the original owner gave up. But over here, by these cases of a chayv and an amperist, there's no such assumption. Because this is not a situation of a danger. So even after 12 months, the original owner is still planning on taking this guy to a court and taking it back from him. He just didn't get around to it. He didn't have a court available. He didn't have a court date or he couldn't, he couldn't take him uh, to court yet. So therefore, even after 12 months, you can't buy it off of this secret. You have to allow the original owner to go and redeem it from him, from, from this uh, the guy that took it for the hive or a stamach Amparis. Now the B'raiseh concludes and says, The amperis atzma amperis itself, so after 12 months, when a guy comes and steals it, so after 12 months, then you can go and buy it from this guy. So the Gemara right away asks, this is a contradiction. we just said, Ein bo, That when it comes to Amperes, a guy that stam steals a property, the halakh of a that after 12 months, the Yid gave up, you can buy it from him, it does not apply there. So the Gemara answers, you're right. You have to read the Braise, This is what the Braise says, atzma, By the sakrikin himself, that a Yid is now allowed to go and buy it from him and keep it, that's only after 12 months. Only after 12 months do we say that the original Yiddish owner gave up on this. Oh, Rav Yesef, Rav Yesif said, Naktinon, we know that amperus There's no amperus in Bavl, which would simply sound like he's saying that a situation like this, where Goyim come and steal, confiscate properties from Yidden, this doesn't happen in Bavl. So when to ask, that can't be, but we see that it does happen in Bavl, that Goyim do such things rather, what Rav Yesus is meant to say is, ain't din Amputus for The halacha, the din of Amputus does not apply in Babel. Right? What's the halacha we just said about Amputus? That when a guy confiscates a property from a yid, no yid could go and buy it from that guy. And even after a long period of time, even after 12 months, why? Because the din of Amputus is, the assumption is, that the original owner is still planning on giving, getting it back from this guy. He did not give up on it yet. Because there's no danger by amperus like there is by Sekrikin. but that din does not apply in bavel. My time and why? Because kiv and the akedah davar. Because bavel is different. In bavel, the courts uh, the be- bezdin or court is very available. There's always an available court to take this guy to. Mm-hmm. And velayozel. And this he didn't go to a court in this period of time. So kabul, it must be that he accepted upon himself. Eimah achuli achle. So then, what we say is, definitely the yid gave up. He was Michael, He gave up on this property. Either he was meyayish, or from the beginning he was afraid of this guy. Even though it's not sekriken, it's only amperes. He was afraid of him, and therefore he did not take him to court. So therefore, in bavel, even by a regular amperes, after a long period of time, we know that the yid gave up on it, and any other yid could go and buy the property and keep it, as long as he pays the original owner the difference, just like by sekriken. Uh, Another story related to this halacha: Gidol Bar Reiloi. There was a fellow by the name of Gidl Bar Reiloi. Kibbal Ada B'Taske Mdnay Bagen. So he got a property from a, a Taske, which is a big valley that there are many people, many landowners there in this valley. So now, what's the story over here with this land, with this valley with all the landowners? And Rashi explains that to say there was then that they all had to pay a tax, but who paid the tax? All the landowners in this one big valley. Gave together their percent of what uh, tax they have to pay for their property And then there was one individual that went and, and brought the payment of the tax to the king Okay, but now the thing is what happens if one of the landowners left he's not here He still has to pay the king will still come and collect the, the Tax from his property even if that person left town it doesn't make a difference. So what happens the one that's going this gabai so to speak that's going to bring the tax to the king he has the rights to go and eat and use this property of this person that left and then he goes and pays himself the percent of the taxes that he has to pay for the king because the seder was the king would collect the taxes from the one that's actually using this property the king didn't want to hear any uh, excuses or that this guy is out of town he's not here he's not planting his field this year it's empty so he doesn't have to pay tax the king wanted to get the the pay of, of the taxes from all the properties so if the guy left so then someone else would go and occupy his field and eat from it and he would pay the share of the tax for for that property which he is now using so now, this, this fellow, Gidelbari Eloi, so he went and was basically occupying one property and, and paying the taxes of that property from certain people of this valley here that left. So what did he do? He went and paid the taxes for that property that he's now occupying from these people that left, not only for this one year, but he paid the taxes for three years. You paid ahead and in advance three years. Now the Saif, in the end of this one year, Assi kamoi, the original owners from these properties that he was occupying and paying the taxes for them, returned. So lay, so they said to Gidlbari shat Shattakamay said the yavis Achhlis. So for the year now that you paid the tax and you occupied our property and you ate the produce from our property, as I mentioned, that was the Seder, that that's whoever was paying the tax. Occupy the property. So fine, that's yours. But anan yavinon and anan achlinon. Now, we want to take back our properties and occupy the field and eat from it. And we're going to pay our, our share of taxes for, for, for these uh, coming years. Now, the thing is, Rashi explains what's going to happen over here is, the you may say, what do you mean? For the, He paid it already in a head. The taxes, he paid for three years. So mm-hmm. for two years, he already paid the taxes. Now these property owners that came back and are going to use this property, why should they have to pay again taxes for these upcoming two years? But Ash explains that that's the way they say there was, that the property tax has to be paid for the people that are occupying the tax presently. So when these property owners come back and are eating from their properties in these Coming two years, even though the property tax was already paid, it doesn't matter. They're going to have to pay their property tax again Mm -hmm. for these time, for these years that they're going to occupy it. Mm -hmm. So now, Gidobar Loy says, but so that means that I had a loss here. I paid extra taxes for the time that I ate and now I have a loss. I want you to pay me back for these extra taxes that I paid here for the next two years. Or he says, otherwise, allow me to occupy these properties for these two years, and then I won't have to pay for those extra taxes, because I already paid for those years. So they came to Rav Papa. Also, they came to Rav Papa. They came to Rav Papa. So, so Rav Papa felt that Gidel law is right, that there's no reason he should have a loss, and that he told the... Uh, he wanted to write him a Start Tirfe, which is a document to give him the right to confiscate that amount of the extra taxes that he paid from these landowners that want to take back their properties. They can take it back, and they'll eat from their properties, and they'll pay their taxes. But the extra taxes that gilbari Loi paid in advance, that these landowners are now causing him this loss, they should pay him back. That's what the Papa helped. Um, um, again. He him of the also, just yeah, just... he told Gidlo about that you have to leave the property, give it back to the landowners. Ah, you're gonna lose. You're gonna lose the two years of taxes that you paid. So he wanted to give him the rights to go and collect from them from their property for this uh, loss that he's having. So Amulet, I want to Rav Yeshua, Papa. So Rav tells Rav Papa, why, why, why does this Gidlo about have the right to collect from them? Imkai, Nasisa, Sakrikin, You're considering this case to be similar to the Sekrikin. So Rashi explains that This means that this king that was collecting the taxes here, you're considering this king to be like a Sekrikin. Which means that now that the king, being like a Sekrikin, forced to pay the taxes, and Gidel went and paid those taxes, so now he can go and keep that taxes that he paid for himself, and he could force... The, the real landowners to come and pay him for it. Similar to a Sekrikin where the land is being confiscated from the true owners. And now another Yid could come and buy it from the Sekrikin against the will of the original owner. Over here as well, it's a similar concept. This king is being looked at, that he's like a Sekrikin forcing this pay of taxes. And now Giddle law could force the original owners to pay him. So Rav Honei Rav is asking, but why are you doing this? This is not considered to be like a Sakrikin. Why not? Because what happened over here? Did the king force Giddlebody Eloy to pay these taxes in advance? He didn't force him. Giddlebury Eloy went on his own and, and decided to pay these taxes in advance. So in such a case, he should it, it should be Giddlebody Eloy's loss. It's not something which is like a Sakrikin. So, therefore, The fact that he decided to pay these taxes in advance, it's like you put your money on the horn of a deer that runs away and it's his loss. No one asked him to pay this money in advance. How could he force now the original owners to pay him back, to reimburse him for the loss that he has? If you wanted to pay in advance, it's your choice. It's not like a sakrikin where the money was being forced out against your will and therefore the original owner should have to reimburse you for this. Okay, going back to the Mishnah, it said in the Mishnah, "Zu Mishnah Rishayna. The Mishnah Rishayna said that if you buy a land from a Sekrikin and then you buy it from the original owner, the whole sale is null and void. But, the next generation came and said, when you buy the property from the Sekrikin, so you can keep the property. The sale is good, but as long as and lebailim rivia, because you bought it from bisterkriken for a cheaper price, you have to give the original owner a quarter of this property. That difference that you didn't pay the original owner. So here the Gemara will explain when it says a quarter. What exactly does a quarter mean? So Amarav Rav says, okay. So before I read the Gemara inside, when you say the quarter here, you, the quarter here could be one of two things. There's the true price of the property, which is more expensive. And as the actual price of the property that he actually paid right now, right? So when it says over here a quarter, it means a quarter of what price? Of the true price of the property or a quarter of the actual price that he paid right now? So Amar Rav, Rav says, riviyah bekarka, riviyah bemois, You pay back a quarter and you can pay back that quarter, whether with a piece of land or with money. As we'll see soon, the Gemara will explain. What Rav is saying is, it's a quarter of the actual price that you paid. Not of, of the true value, but of the actual price of the property that you paid. That's what a via here means. But Shmuel Omar, Shmuel says the revia here is not a revia of the actual price he paid, but it's it, it's a revia of the actual value of the karka. Revia karka. Now, when Shmuel here says revia bikarka, he means to say that you have to pay the original owner a quarter of the actual price of the karka. Shehain shlish B'moyz, which will come out to be a third of its value. Okay, here the Gemara will explain. We'll see. So, Pumaika Miflegi, what is the argument here between Rav and Shmuel? Shmuel's opinion is, that when the property was bought, so it was bought a quarter less of its value. Okay, so what this means over here is, what did he pay for this property? Let's say he paid for the property $100. The price that he paid $100, he paid a quarter less in its true value. Rivia here means a quarter less than its, the true value of the property. So if you paid $100, and we're saying that you paid a quarter less of the true value of the property, what would that mean? The true value of the property would be $133. And he paid $100, that's a quarter less of the true value of the property. So $133, so you have four times 33. And he paid a quarter less, which is $100. That's the Pshat of Rivia Bekarka. So how much are you going to have to give to the owner? the difference that you pay cheaper here, you're going to have to give him $33. That's the Raviyah karka that Shmuel says. shehen Shlish, B'mais, which is going to be a third of, of the actual price that you paid over here for this uh, property, right? Because he actually paid $100. So then he's going to have to give $33 for the actual price that he paid, which is a quarter of the true value of the karka. That's Shmuel. That, and and uh, on the other hand, Rav holds a marsova naki chumshezoven. No, Rav says that really the actual price that you paid, so it was a fifth of the true value of the property. So what's Rav saying? Rav says that the true price of the property is a hundred and twenty-five dollars, not a hundred and thirty-three, but hundred and twenty-five dollars. So when you paid a hundred dollars, so the hundred dollars that you paid is. Uh, is going to be, uh, from the true price of the property, you're paying a fifth less. Why? Because the real price of the property is 125 125 is 5 times 25. So you paid only $100. That's a, that's a fifth less of the price of the property. Now regarding the actual price that you paid, that's a quarter. If you, if you paid $100, so regarding the actual price, $25 is a quarter of the actual price that you paid. So again, the point of here is the machlekes of Rav and Shmuel in the lashon of revia And the Mishnah is Rav holds revia refers to the actual price that you pay, which is $100, so revia would be $25. And Shmuel says that the Loshan, revia and the Mishnah means to the real price of the property, which is $133. And therefore, you're paying $33 from that ac- real price of the property. So the here brings a Raysa. That seems to be a clear raya to what Rav said. So Nebrai Seheh, it goes through the same thing that it said in the Mishnah. That in the beginning it said that if you buy a property from a Sekrikin and then from a Yid, the sale is null and void. But then later Bezna came and said, and You buy a property from a Sekrikin, so then you can keep it. But you have to just give the owner a quarter of the difference in the cheap price. And the Yad and additionally the Bailem, the original owner, always has the upper hand. if they want to go and take their property itself and redeem it and pay the price for it, they can go and take it. And if they want to allow this Yid that's buying it and then pay pay them the difference, so then the Yid could buy it. But now when is this? likach that's if the uh, original owner does not have money to pay for the field here. If they have money to pay for it, so then they come before everybody else. Again, so let me just clarify. Before, when it said, it means to say the the pay of that quarter difference. The pay of that quarter difference, they can either get that payment from the Karka itself, or they can get that payment from money. And then the B'A'Isa says, but if the original owner wants to go and buy the whole property for himself, we have to give him the option to buy it himself first. And then, as it said in our Mishnah as well, Rabbi Hoyshev Vinimnu, Rabbi sat down at Bezden and took account and made another Takone, Shem Shosa, Sekrikin, if was in the hands of the and already for 12 months, So then, whoever comes first can go and buy it. The original owner does not have the first right to go and buy this property. Aval, hmm. but then the B'raisa concludes, Naisen Revia Bekarka, Bemois. But you are going to have to give the difference to the original owner by the via of karka or the via of money. So the Gemara now understands, because it says this lashon of either the via karka or the via bemois, it means like what Rav said, that the via is from the mo'is, meaning from the actual price that you paid, which is $25 out of $100. Not like Shmuel said, $33 from the real price of the karka, which is $133. That's what it's mashma, the lashon of the b'raise. Ravashi says, no, according to Shmuel, that's not what the B'raiseh means. Ki the Lashon of the the B'mois, does refer to the full price after the original owner gets back the reimbursement of those $33. If you take the full sum of the real price of the property into account, then it'll be a revia of that price of $133, which is $33. Not like Rav said, which is only $25, out of $125, which, is, which means that it's really only a fifth of the, uh, the, that the property was only cheaper, a fifth of the price that it was. Okay.